So 100 years ago, the idea that people would willingly get on a bicycle that's had its back wheel removed to pedal as hard and fast as they can for 30 minutes at a time to get absolutely nowhere, it would have sounded preposterous. But this is exactly what many of us do frequently. And why do we do this? Because we know in 2016 that daily physical activity is necessary for physical health. And based on decades of research, our public health officials can now offer us precise evidence-based guidance on what to do to keep our bodies physically fit. But what about the mind? Are there daily exercises we can do, mental exercises, to help our psychological well-being and our performance success? And if so, what would they look like? What I can tell you for sure is that crossword puzzles may be a lot of fun, but these are not the answer to strengthening our brain fitness. Sorry. As a neuroscientist and a researcher, I've devoted the last decade of my lab's research to understanding the human brain, specifically the human brain's attention system. And through our work, what we've found out is that attention is, of course, very powerful. And that exercising and strengthening attention with something called mindfulness training can be extremely beneficial to improving our performance success as well as our ability to be psychologically fit. So what do we mean when we say attention? Well, it's, as I said, necessary for almost everything we do. This brain system doesn't actually fully develop until we are in our early adulthood, about the age of 25. We all know that we need our attention to focus, to communicate, to listen, to learn. We need it to regulate our mood. And to orchestrate these complex functions, attention is divided into three main systems. So what are these systems? Well, the orienting system allows us to narrow and focus our attention, to direct it at will. We can direct it, sort of like a flashlight, to the external environment, to sights and sounds we might experience. Or we can direct it internally, to emotions, to memories, to thoughts. And when we do this, we know that anything that's within that flashlight's focus will be what is most salient in our conscious experience. But attention is also, another way to think about it, is like this caution sign. This is the brain's alerting system. It allows us to be alert and vigilant. And we do this without even knowing what will be the focus of our mind, but having attention extremely ready and prepared to deploy it in the moment. A third way we can think about our attention is like this juggler. This is the brain's executive system. And like the executive of a company, the juggler's job is to manage and align our goals and our behaviors so that none of the balls drop, right? All the balls stay in the air. Now, in talking about all of these powerful ways attention works, it may seem that it's a superpower we hold, right? We need it to focus, to be alert, and to plan. But unfortunately, one of the forms of kryptonite for our attention is stress. And when I say the word stress, I mean that perceived psychological experience of overwhelm, of poor mood. Anybody ever experienced that? <laughs> and unfortunately, we all know that stress is quite bad for the body. But it ends up that stress is also powerfully damaging for the brain's attention systems. And what happens with stress? Well, for the orienting system, stress can cause that flashlight to get stuck on negative thoughts over and over again, making it difficult to yank away. 
And this leads to things like depression. Or stress can actually amp up the alerting system. So everything we encounter feels like a flashing caution sign. This leads to hypervigilance and disorders like PTSD and anxiety. Or stress can actually cause the brain's attention system, the executive system's juggler to drop the ball. This leads to errors. This leads to problems with making sure that what we want to do and what we do actually match. And this is common when this juggler gets overly rambunctious in disorders like attention deficit disorder. So with all these things that attention really gets compromised with by stress, you might ask, what is it that stress does to attention so fundamentally? And what we think is happening is that stress actually hijacks attention away from the present moment. What do I mean? Well, for a moment, think about the mind like an MP3 player, okay? And when we think about the stressed mind, we're talking a mind that's quite prone to mental time travel so that our conscious thoughts are really about the past or the future. We end up rewinding the mind to the past so that we're ruminating, reliving, and regretting experiences that have already occurred. Or we're fast-forwarding the mind to the future so that we're planning, catastrophizing, or worrying about things that may never even happen. So when we think about stress, we know we're not here. We're in the past or the future. And my argument is that actually the antidote to a stressed mind may be a mindful one. And when I use the term mindfulness, I'm talking about the ability to pay attention to present moment experience without judgment or elaboration or reactivity about it. It's keeping that button right on play so we can experience our, the moment to moment unfolding of our lives. And in my laboratory here at the University of Miami, we're interested in how stress may actually damage the brain's attention system and if mindfulness training may be able to help. And we do this in populations for whom stress is not just a moment of panic, but can actually be months, maybe even years of long-term intensive stress. So we look at many different populations, and these are some examples, students, athletes, accountants, military service members. And what do we do? Well, we track their attention at the sort of beginning and end of some constrained period of high demand or intensive stress, like the academic semester. And we look to see what happens. Is attention actually compromised? And if so, can mindfulness training protect from this? So for example, if we think about military service members, we, we all can imagine that being deployed to a war zone is gonna be a very stressful event. And this is not a short period of time, up to 19 months in some cases. But what we're learning from our work is that even before they're deployed, in the pre-deployment phase, when they're receiving intensive training to be ready to go, their mood can get worse, their stress levels go up, and their attention can actually be compromised. So one thing we've tried to do now is see if we can offer people that are going through this intensive pre-deployment training while they're stateside before they're in a war zone, offer them mindfulness training and see what happens. So, so what do we do in our, in our studies? Well, we bring them into the laboratory, they do our tasks of attention, sort of like simple video games, and then they go through, over a, about a two-month interval, they'll go through a mindfulness training course where an expert trainer will be with them once a week for a few hours a week to guide them in practices that help them cultivate a more mindful state of their attention. In addition to this class format, they get daily homework that's assigned to them that they're supposed to do on their own. 
And then we bring them back again, test them again, and we compare what happened before versus after the training interval while all of the soldiers and Marines that we looked at were still undergoing intensive military training. So if we look at attention before and after this interval, around, like I said, about two months, and we look at the group that we don't provide mindfulness training to, this is sort of the treatment as usual, meaning they're service members that are just going through deployment. Their attention actually gets worse. This is what we'd call in psychology speak the control group that didn't get mindfulness training. So their attention got worse, but the group that we provided mindfulness training to stayed stable, even though just like the other group, they were experiencing intensive stressors as they pre prepared for deployment. And perhaps more impressive was that in the group that was part of our training group and that really committed to engaging in daily mindfulness exercises, what we call the high practice group, they actually got better than when they started all through this same intensive high stress period. Now, for me as a scientist, this is very exciting to see lines on a graph and statistics, but it doesn't really convey the subjective experience of what it feels like to go through a training program like, like this and then de be deployed to a war zone. So I wanted to give you a sense of what the soldiers and Marines themselves feel like when they're headed to, to deployment and then when they return after having participated in our course. So let me just read this quote by one of our participants, a medic, a Marine medic. During my previous deployment, especially after doing multiple missions and being up late, when I would go out on missions, I would be so jittery, so fragmented, so ready to pull the trigger, so ready to kill. Without any hesitation, I was ready to go, bloodthirsty, but so amped there was no control, and thank God nothing happened. But this time I was focused, I was watching things. I was much more attentive to people who were around me and what they were doing before it was just a blur. Now, most of us in this room are not headed to a war zone. Most of us in this room do not have the kind of uh, challenges that, that this Marine faced. But I would argue that there have been many times in many of our lives where we've experienced high stress intervals. And in those moments, the consequences may have felt like life or death. And unfortunately, what we're learning is that when that happens to us, our attention and our mood become compromised, degraded. But through my own work and through the work of the growing field of what's called contemplative neuroscience, we're learning that there is something we can do about it. We can engage in mindfulness training to make our own attention system stronger by exercising it in a daily fashion. What I would like to argue with you, well, convey to you actually, is that I really hope that it won't take us another hundred years to come to the cultural understanding that the mind, like the body, needs daily exercise in order to say, stay psychologically healthy and fit. And of course, we have just the beginning stages of research on this, and there's much more to do. In fact, that's why I started, uh, co-founded with my colleague, Scott Rogers at the law school, the You Mindfulness Initiative, which is devoted, it's a multi-school effort here at the University of Miami, to promote brain research, training opportunities, and community outreach all around the topic of mindfulness. So please join us in learning more about how you can include mindfulness in your own life to improve your own state of well-being. And let me just end by thanking all of you for your attention. Thank you.